Thank you, David. Thank you, Artis. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Maggie. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. We're finishing it off, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I was in high school, we lived in Indiana. I considered it the promised land back then. I've moved to Nebraska, and I will not tell you what I consider right now. We lived in two, in, on a land of about two acres. We lived on about two acres in the middle of the woods in northern Indiana. Now I say woods very loosely. It's true that the land around us was wooded. Across the street was a swamp, so we didn't go there. Uh, and the land around us was wooded, but the majority of our two acres was what we termed wasteland uh, because the previous owners ran out of money. And to pay their debts, they sold all the topsoil. So <laughs> we, 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 we were surrounded by mostly woods, swamp across the street, but our property was a giant sandbox, was what it was. And over the nine years that we lived there, the ground slowly reclaimed the property. Slowly, by the time we left, there was a lot of weeds growing there. Um, but so our house was set up on a hill overlooking a giant sandbox. Here, here you can see, kind of looking down the hill, up to the top, you can see some of the sand there in the two acres there. It's been slowly being reclaimed. Um, this is us building a chicken coop because we decided it would be good to have chickens. I never want to see another chicken. <laughs> but you can see that this is towards the end of our nine years, and, and, and the grass is slowly starting to reclaim that sand area, but you can still see the sand around there. And just because you know, I was walking down memory lane, this was our lane going from the house to the street. It was very beautiful in the fall. And then winter came. We would get snow. It's called lake effect snow. So whenever it snowed, it would dump at least a foot. Uh, there was one time it dumped three feet at once. We lost our electricity. We had to go some, live someplace else for a week. Uh, until the electricity came back to our area. Uh, other times, electricity only blimped for about a day, and so we got out our oil lanterns, and uh, all our house was electric, so we didn't have heat, so we bundled up. It was one time we needed to cook supper, this best memory in my life. My mom will not want me to tell this, but that's okay. We went down to the garage where we had some old chairs, and we sawed up the chairs, and we made a fire in our garage with those old chairs, and we cooked food in our garage. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> so you kind of get the picture of where we lived in northern Indiana. One day when I was, I was walking around in our wasteland, the sandbox, and I saw a little pebble there amongst the sand. I thought, ooh, that looks cool. I'd like that pebble. So I reached down to grab that pebble, and I couldn't. I spread the sand away, and I realized that pebble was a rock. I said, no matter, I want the rock. So I start pushing the sand away, and then I go to the sh our garage, and I get a shovel, and I start digging. Six hours later, I unearthed this boulder that's about that big. I called it my dinosaur tooth. My family thought I was crazy. My sister thought I was nuts. I won't tell you which sister it was, but... I said I was determined. They said I was stubborn. 
My mom said I'm a glutton for punishment. I say that whenever I see a boulder, I got to dig that boulder up. It's what I have to do. It's a gifting that I have. That when, when, I, when I see an impossible hill in front of me that most people would run away from, I say, that looks like fun. And I run towards that hill. My wife is so sorry that she married me. <laughs> it is a blessing because there's some hills that have to be conquered and God has placed me in the world to conquer those hills. You are welcome. It's also a curse because if I do not temper this gift with love, I leave a whole bunch of hurt in my wake. I'm grateful that God is still teaching me and has been teaching me about that. As Christians, everything we do, even the things that we say are gifts from God, things that we say, hey, this is how God designed me, and when I do this, I thrive, everything we do has to be tempered with love, because if it is not, it is not a gift from God, it is a curse. As we've discussed, love is a choice to do what is right for someone else, to put their needs above our own. Love is a reflection of Christ in our life. As Paul says, love is the most excellent way, the greatest gift of all. But why does he say that? We're going to discuss that today, what it means that love is the greatest of all. Let's read the whole passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. When we show love, we show people eternity. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of love and you proved your love to us by sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. You proved your love by making it so we didn't have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to get that salvation. But all we have to turn to you and confess that we're a sinner and believe in your son, his sacrifice on the cross, and we're saved. We get to have a personal relationship with you that lasts throughout this life and into the next, giving us hope, peace, joy, and love. It is truly an amazing thing to confess that you are our God, our Savior, and our King. There is no other. 
to know that we can come before your throne and gain help in time of need. You give us hope when we don't think we have any. All because of the love that you've shown us. Lord, thank you for that. As I'm up here, Father, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words in my, my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Today we're going to talk about eternity. Eternity. Paul writes to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I believe that God has given everyone on earth a purpose in which to live. And while, but while we have a purpose for living right now, to enjoy him and to glorify him, we are not living for the here and now. We have a reason to live here and now, but we are not living for the here and now. We are living for eternity. One of the main points of our parenting class that we're going through is that every single person lives forever. Every single person does. Some people will live forever in heaven, enjoying God and bliss. Other people will live forever in hell, separated God for eternity. Everyone lives forever. It's just, where are we going? Our parenting class is urging us as parents to raise up our kids and prepare them for eternity. We get so caught up in the here and now as parents saying, oh, we want our kids to have good grades. We, we want our kids to be able to do this. We want our kids to be able to do that. When we're teaching them not to live for eternity, we're teaching them to have priorities for everything but eternity. We are made, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we are made to live for eternity now. To have that mindset in our minds. Because we are designed for eternity, we cannot be content with the brokenness of this world. We can't be. Because we're designed for eternity, we can't be content with the brokenness of the people around us. And because we're designed for eternity, we shouldn't want to imitate that brokenness in our lives. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16. All these people, all these great Old Testament men and women of faith, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. We as followers of Jesus Christ join the ranks of the Old Testament people of faith and long for a better country if we're his. That should be. Paul describes this eternity that we're longing for in a specific way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, eternity presents completeness. Eternity presents completeness. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 to 10, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 600 years ago, a popular denomination 
began teaching that we are to become progressively more and more like Christ. And we're rewarded on earth and in heaven uh, based upon how we have progressed in our sanctification. It sounds great. Part of it's true. But they said that the goal was to be like Christ here on earth, which isn't true. Yes, we as followers of Jesus Christ are to pursue Christ's likeness. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Peter says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. But in our pursuit of holiness, if we're truly pursuing holiness in our life, we realize we can't. In and of ourselves, we cannot be holy. No matter what we try to do, no matter what loops we try to take, no matter what rituals we perform, we cannot be holy. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that change in our life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, that's what Paul's perspective is. He says, so I, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is for us who are saved to say, I want to know Christ and I will pursue a relationship with him. I will spend time with him. I will commune with him. I will walk by the Spirit. And as we pursue that relationship, the Holy Spirit works the change in us. As we pursue Christ, that relationship we were to have in the Spirit, we realize more fully every single day that we don't meet the mark, but by the grace of God, we're still accepted. We realize we will never achieve completeness, perfection, holiness, this side of eternity. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day or at the day of Jesus Christ. That's when completeness comes. No amount of striving we do on this earth will bring completion to our life. It is only when we take our last breath and we enter into eternity that we become complete. I know that each of you are living, breathing human beings. Yes? Yes. Some of you might be close to being alien. Others of you might be close to being robotic. But we are all living, breathing human beings. When I said being close to robotic, my sister gave me this look. <laughs> Since we're all human beings, I know that we all struggle with sin. We all do. And if you don't struggle with sin, that means you have embraced it in your life. Those are the only two options. We either struggle with it or we embrace it. That's it. Some days are very hard to live. Some days are. I feel my brokenness and I yearn for completeness when I see the sin that is all throughout me. I yearn for the salvation which Christ offers. I yearn for it to be complete. Right now, I know I'm saved, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, but my salvation is not fully realized because I'm still living here, I'm still filled with sin and brokenness. And I yearn for that day when Christ calls me home and the sin that so easily entangles will be ripped away from me. I'll finally be free. What a great day that will be when I will be complete. I could spend a whole sermon just on the term complete, but I can't. When Christ ushers us into eternity, his work will ultimately be finished. In eternity, we will be purified. 
In eternity, we will be ultimately saved. In eternity, we'll be possessing the promise. Titus chapter two, verses 11 to 14, Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all in wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In Christ, one day, we will have completeness, and that is eternity. Eternity presents knowing. It presents knowing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to 12, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the things of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The hymn goes, we will understand it better by and by. It's a great hymn. So many people are looking forward to understanding the why of this life. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And there's a lot of heartache and pain that brings these why questions in our minds. They go around and around and around, and we're never quite free of them. And we want to know the why. There's sometimes we open up Scripture and read a passage, and we don't understand it, and we want to know a why of that certain passage. There's so much knowledge that we want in the world. We want all these question marks answered, but they won't be answered until eternity comes. And when eternity comes, we will know Christ, truly know him, and then we will understand. Right now, we know Jesus and we know spiritual things. We have a relationship with him. We can pray to him. We can read the Bible, and that's great, but it's just a reflection of Jesus as looking through a mirror. It, it, it's, not, it's not what will be when eternity happens. When Christ comes, we'll know him face to face. And all these things that are blocking us are going to go away. Can you imagine what that day will be like? Can you imagine what it will be like when we see Jesus for the first time in the flesh? I've been toying back and forth with, but I'm going to do it. So, um, Roxy, could you turn the mic on the piano on? I got to sing this song. I, it's not perfect, but it's been mulling over me. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me I can only imagine I 
surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Oh, will I knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. When that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun, I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever. Forever worship you. I can only imagine. Paul says in that day, we shall be fully known. He says, as we are fully known by Christ, we shall fully know him. Have you thought about that statement, what that means? Think of it. Jesus right now knows us completely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, he knows who we are. He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're going through. He knows everything we're made of in the same way that he knows us. We get to know him on that day. We don't have that relationship right now. We yearn for that relationship. But one day it will be ours. And though him face to face, our Savior, our Creator, completely, and will spend all eternity glorying in that knowledge. We'll possess what Paul yearned for, and he wrote in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. 
That was his, his yearning in this life. That's our yearning. We want to know Christ. And one day, that yearning will be ours. Knowledge. Eternity. It's what we're living for. Completeness. Knowledge. Paul says eternity presents love. Paul writes at the beginning of this passage, he says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And then again, he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We live in a world today full of pain. No matter which way you see it, no matter how you cut it, we live in a world full of pain, full of sin, full of hypocritical love. We see people saying, oh, I love you, and I love this, and I love, but it's all tainted love. The pain that we're in in this world is so much that we cannot imagine a world that is filled with peace, that is filled with perfection, that is filled with unadulterated, unconditional love. But though we cannot imagine it, that is what eternity will be like. It blows our imagination, but we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's what it's like. We know it because the one who lives in eternity is the one who has defined love for us because God is love. John writes in John 4, 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Last week, we saw that Jesus proved his love over and over and over again every day that he lived. We saw that he urges us to imitate his love as we live on this earth, and, and, which is great. We're supposed to do that, but that's very hard because our sinful nature says, I can't do it, and I don't want to love that person. I want to look out for myself. I don't want to sacrifice. I, 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 I. It's hard. One day, though, it won't be a chore anymore to love. We will know Jesus perfectly and we'll be able to imitate him perfectly because our salvation will be fully realized. We've talked about how God proved his love to us by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. We've talked about how our salvation is based on love. John writes in John, 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. When Jesus raises us from the dead, or if we're caught up in the rapture, whichever one it is, our salvation will be fully realized, and we'll be able to understand love. Right now, we have just a taste of it, but in eternity, we'll be wallowing in his love, enjoying showing that fullness of love to each other. It's like when your mom bakes a cake. You sneak into the kitchen, and you lick the bowl. Or maybe you take a little lick off the edge of it without her knowing it. And boy, it tastes good. That little taste is good. But when you're able to dive in and eat that whole cake, that taste is nothing. Because you've been able to eat the whole thing and enjoying the whole of it. And that is so much better. Love in eternity is nothing that we have ever experienced. But boy, I am so looking forward to, it, forward to it. I cannot wait. Eternity. Eternity presents completion. It presents knowledge. It presents love. But we're not in eternity right now. 
Right now we're living in the now. We're yearning for eternity. We're living for eternity, but we're not there yet. And how can we live for eternity when we're not there yet and we're still living in our broken, sinful bodies that does not do good in and of themselves? How do we point people to eternity now? Thankfully, God has given us things to help since we don't have completeness, knowledge, or the fullness of love. He's given us things to help, but those things are partial. They're partial. They're not complete like what will be in eternity. They're, they're confined to the here and now. They're giving only a picture of what will be, a glimmer of it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, now, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part. That's verse 9. Again, in verse 12, he says, For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Right now is only partial. It's a reflection of what will be. But one day, the things that, we, that God has given us on earth to help us will pass away because we'll be in eternity. One theologian writes this, Because the sun rises, all lights will be extinguished. One day the sun will rise. And he will appear from the east, from the west, and everyone will see him. And all that God has given us to help him will be flooded with the fullness of truth and love. We won't need the faint glimmers of light anymore because the sun will have come. When someone's healed, they don't need a crutch anymore. When someone regains hearing, they don't need a hearing aid anymore. In the same way, when eternity comes, we won't need the partial anymore. But we have the partial now to help us, those, those pictures and the glimmers of truth. One of the partial things that God has given us to help us are the giftings that we've talked about. In contrast to love that is forever, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. One day, all the spiritual gifts that God has given to help us, all those will pass away in eternity. We won't need them anymore, because we will have Christ while all the gifts pass away, in this passage, Paul talks about three specific giftings, prophecy, knowledge, and tongues. And I got to get into that a little bit. Prophecy was given to us that we might know God better and that we might know how to follow him better. Next week, we'll talk about more about prophecy. But Paul uses very specific terms in there. He says that prophecies will cease. The word is not melting away, but a bringing to an end. The scriptures tells us that the cosmic end times public deed of divine judgment will bring prophecies to end because prophets, pastors, preachers, they have nothing to say when the last judgment and Christ is sitting on his throne and he is evaluating and pronouncing judgment on anything, there's nothing that any of us can say in light of that. The sermons and knowledge in the world are rendered redundant when Christ is there to speak ultimate truth. As someone says, why do we need anyone to explain what, what it means to know and follow Christ when Christ is right there? It's going to be done away with because we don't need them then. They're for the now. Scripture says the same thing happens to tongues. In May, we're going to discuss tongues more fully because there's a lot of confusion about it. But just a peek, Paul says 
that tongues will cease in eternity. That means tongues are not a heavenly language. They're not a way of expressing intimacy with God because they're gonna be done away with in eternity. Tongues were given as a sign. Hebrews chapter two, verses three to four. He says, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The gift of tongues that we will dive into more in May wasn't something to be coveted. It was a sign at that time that someone had rightly and savingly believed the Christian doctrines. It was a sign to the new converts to boost their faith. It was a sign to the evangelist to boost his faith. It was a sign to the unbeliever to boost their faith. And through the centuries, it's been given as a sign that God was working to those who needed the boost of their faith beyond which scripture gives. That's the teaching of Hebrews in 1 Corinthians 14, but we'll dive into that more in May. In eternity, tongues will evaporate because their cause will have disappeared. We will come face to face with God without the limitations and hidden conflicts of this present life. Paul says that God has given us giftings in order to help us in this life, but they're partial, they will pass away. God has also given us faith in this life. Paul writes his climatic conclusion to the love chapter. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Over and over and over again in his writings, Paul refers to faith, hope, and love, and these three walk hand in hand. They embrace the whole Christian life as as we try to live the life of the Spirit in the present age, waiting for eternity to come. We who believe in faith, have faith in God, and we trust him to forgive and accept us through Jesus Christ. Even though we don't see him, as Paul says, we see him as a mirror, we see a reflection in a mirror, but we have faith, we trust in his goodness and his mercy. Paul says, now these three remain. He's speaking of right now, before the completed eternity comes. Right now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. One day faith will pass away because the need for faith will be gone. All of our trust will be realized when we see Christ. In the same way, hope is now. He says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Hope is right up there with faith. Right now it remains. We have hope for the future, for the completeness that is coming, because future has been guaranteed for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Through his resurrection, we know that we will all one day rise again. Those who have placed their faith in him will rise to eternal life. And those who have not placed their faith in him will rise to eternal death. And through his resurrection, we hopefully have become a thoroughly future-oriented people. We realize and we confess through our lives how we live and how we speak that the present age is on its way out. Therefore, we live now as if the present is not now, but the future actually is. We live because of our hope that we are on our way home, destined for an eternity in the presence of God that is face to face. Paul says that we are waiting for the blessed hope, the peering of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews brings faith and hope together for us in Hebrews chapter 11, says faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's an assurance about what we do not see. Because of Jesus Christ, if we've made the decision for ourselves, to place our faith in him, we have confidence and we have assurance, a knowledge beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that death is not the end for those who have died in Christ. The best is yet to come. We, we cannot say that we're living for the present because our hope demands that the best is yet to come. One day we will see Christ face to face and hope will pass away because all that we have hoped for in this life will be fully realized. We'll be, we will possess what has been guaranteed. In the same way that faith and hope is now, love is now. Paul said these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. I said that Paul puts these together a lot in the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 writes, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. When we live our life of faith and hope within a local church, among brothers and sisters in Christ that share our same faith and hope, we will have love for one another. If we truly have faith, we truly have hope, it will result in love. But this love, this, this love is the only thing on this list that is a reflection of eternity. It's the only thing that is a taste of what is to come. In the present life of the church, we have faith, hope, and love, and those things should remain. The key word is should remain in us, faith, hope, and love. Love pushes us as Christians to seek God and imitate him to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what love does. The Corinthians did not have this love that reflected eternity. They were focused on the temporary. They're focused on what spiritual gift can I get? They're focused on how do I look in our community? They're focused on do I have enough money? They're focused on are my kids good enough? Do they have great, big, good enough name? They're focused on all these things that pass away instead of the one thing that lasts for eternity. A guy by the name of Warren Wearsby writes this. Unfortunately, some of the emphasis today on the Holy Spirit has not been holy because it has ignored scripture and has not been spiritual because it has appealed to the carnal nature. We must not tell believers what gifts they should have or how they can obtain them like the Corinthians were doing. This matter is in the sovereign will of God. We must not minimize gifts either but neither should we neglect the graces of the Spirit, faith, hope, and love. In my itinerant ministry, I've run across too many local church problems created by people who are zealous for the gifts but careless of the graces. Unity, diversity, maturity, and maturity comes through love. The whole point that Paul is making in this passage as we reflect on eternity, is that the Corinthians and the whole church of Jesus Christ should be seeking to reflect that which is eternal in our life. Paul says these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I'm grateful for the gifts that God gives us on this side of eternity. I'm grateful for the spiritual gifts that boost our faith and equip us to do life on this earth. I'm grateful for the faith that he has given us, the gift he has given us, that we have confidence in that we can trust him. I'm grateful for the hope that we have, the assurance that eternity is coming. But love is there. The things that pass away should not be our focus. As so many churches, they are. We should desire to show eternity, and we do that through our love. In the New Testament church here, we have a complete revelation through scripture, but we only have a partial understanding of it. There's time for maturing as a church. There's time for individual maturing. 
will not be fully complete until Christ comes and calls us home. So we ought to be growing and we ought to be maturing. But the maturing and growing should be focused on eternity and preparing for eternity. Children live for the temporary, Paul writes in this passage. Children live for that which passes away. Adults live for the permanent. Paul says that love is enduring and what it produces will endure. Eternity is coming. As John writes in Revelation, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We yearn for that day. And one day, Jesus will call us home to a grand reunion together before his throne. Are we living to show that eternity in our lives? Or are we caught up in all these things in life that will pass away? As we look in our life, which one is it? Is it eternity or is it the temporary? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us and proving to us your love. Thank you for working that in us. It is hard as your people to keep our eyes on eternity. You give us reminders throughout the days and the weeks of the truth that eternity is just around the corner. But in the daily grind of life, we get so caught up in the temporary things. We get caught up in the excitement. We get caught up in the flash. Other times we get caught up in the grind. And we forget what it means that we are eternal people. And we get to show eternity in our lives by how we love each other. Brothers and sisters and those on the community. Teach us what that looks like. Lord, place eternity on our hearts every single moment of every day and may we translate for those around us. May we be your people and as your people, may we be known by how we love. Thanks, Father. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and stand and turn to number 497. 497, near to the heart of God. Psalm 73, 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all thy works. Bless Redeemer. 
coming out and worshiping with us this Sunday. I hope you can join us for Sunday school immediately after church. We're doing the art of parenting here. and We're talking about reaching the heart of your kids. Uh, we got Sunday school for all ages downstairs. Until we meet again, please stop by and sign up to clean the church sometime. There's also a sheet back there for the spring cleaning of the church. Uh, we're hoping to have the church go through some spring cleaning by Easter. So if you could go uh, come as you will and do some of the deep cleaning things that are on the list, check them off when you've done it. Until we meet again, may we be people who show eternity with our lives, beyond a shadow of a doubt, showing that our God is real by how we love each other and compelling them to know him and his ultimate love. And one day, oh Lord Jesus, I look forward to that day. We'll be able to dwell together in eternity, full of that love, that completeness, that knowledge, that no one can ever take away.